The title of the message this morning is The Making of an Evil Mind. The Making of an Evil Mind. Um, ooh, that sounds uh, very cheery, doesn't it? Not so cheery. Um, with everything that's been going on in this world in the last several years, um, I thought we'd, it'd be good to explore this, this topic. How does a person that starts out reasonably normal in their life uh, wind up uh, virtually insane uh, because of the effect of sin? And um, so, you know, another thing uh, on, on this, this day and, and before the day is over, people will be wished Happy New Year many, many times. And for a lot of those people, it won't be a happy new year. As we see what, what has happened concerning uh, all this, this terrorism, whether it's lone wolf type stuff or whether it's ISIS or no matter what it is. Uh, and it's not going to go away. And uh, the Lord has told us about this. And uh, so I thought we'd better be prepared and uh, so let's pray and uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for uh, everybody braving the frigid cold and the weather and coming out. And Lord, uh, for this place we have to come gather and uh, Lord, to look into your word. And uh, Lord, we just uh, pray that you would anoint this time and uh, just Help us to glean whatever it is you have for us today, and uh, we'll just praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, these evil times that we're in, uh, the Lord told us they were coming, and um, if you'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll take a look at, at verses 1 through 3. Paul says to Timothy, beginning in verse 1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, for uh, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Now, verse 3 starts off saying they will be unloving. And we have entered the age of hate. I mean, I think it's official. I think there's no question. And unloving means they are hateful people that we can expect. So the Lord is way ahead of us on this. He knew it was coming. Um, in his omniscience. And hate, of course, is the polar opposite of love. The polar opposite. If you hate, you have a completely different mindset than if you, if, if, if you have love in your life. If you generally love people and are respectful of people, it's completely opposite. And hate turns normal morality upside down. 
because a person that hates is immoral in everything. And uh, a person of love, as, as Jesus Christ has shed his love, love abroad in our hearts, and we, of course, should be people who, whose morality is on solid ground. So, um, verse 3 again, unlo unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. That means they're lovers of evil. They despise good, so they are, that automatically makes them lover, lovers of evil. Now, it's interesting that all men enter this life as relatively innocent people. Um, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying little children, you know, we're talking about uh, little, little guys like Ian and others that we have uh, here at church that we enjoy so much. And... Um, Jesus said, of, the, of such is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they're innocent. There's an innocence in a one or two or three-year-old, four-year-old. Uh, we're not certain, you know, as you begin to, to, to get to five and six and seven and eight and where in there uh, the problem begins. But uh, these little children, uh, I mean, they just bring a smile to your face. They, they're just joyful. It's just joyful to see them. And... Uh, uh, we just, we're just tickled by, by the way they talk and of the things they do and, and so on. Uh, in another, that, that, I read you the, that verse, that Matthew 19, 14 from the King James Version, and it's interesting to read some of these once in a while from another version. In the Holman Christian Version of Matthew 19, 14, the meaning is the same, but it's, the wording is a little different. It says, then Jesus said, leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like this. That's innocence. There's no hate there. Uh, it's, it's just innocence and love involved. And um, he's likening these little children to those who are in the kingdom of heaven. So... Incredible. We start out rather well, don't we? Well, all of us did at one time. But unfortunately, over time, we gradually yield to tempt the temptation to sin. And as we mature physically and our minds mature, uh, that, becomes, that problem becomes worse and worse. In James chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me. Uh, by the way, we're going to have some familiar texts and some that are quite unfamiliar, probably, to you. And um, this is one that's familiar in James chapter 1 and verses 12 through 15. In fact, we've been to this, we've been to this passage recently. Beginning in verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. If God were, were to uh, 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 tempt anyone to commit evil, he would be evil himself. That's impossible. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You notice the progression here? First comes the desire in verse 15, the desire to do something that's sinful. Then, when we act on the desire, the sin is conceived. And then there's a birth of the sin. And then there's a full-grown part of it. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full-grown, brings forth death. Now, that death there is he's not talking about physical death. We're all going to die physically. He's talking about spiritual death. Now, what is the antidote if the temptation results in sin? Well, for one, someone that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they need to flee to the one who paid our sin debt on Calvary's cross. That's the antidote for, for such a person. We were all there at one time when we had to make that decision. To the unsaved who yields to sin, uh, or rather to the saved, they're to confess it and turn away. Proverbs 28.13 says, The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So that's the path for someone who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and has slipped and and, and, and failed at some point in time, which we're all able to do. Now, Proverbs are, are uh, in verse 15, or, excuse me, yeah, verse 15, uh, that I mentioned the desire, it's a, it's a progression. Uh, first, the desire happens, then it, there's a conception to, uh, going on, then a birth, and the sin is born in our lives, and when full-grown, it brings forth death. Uh, Unfortunately, untold masses have failed to remedy this situation in their lives in the manner that I've just, uh, just explained. For one who does not know Jesus Christ, to come to him, and for those who do, to forsake the sin and, and confess it and forsake it. Now, let's examine, let's begin now examining the process that goes on when sin is in the picture. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And beginning with verse 1. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people. The, these sick people lay on all the, on, in various places on these five porches. 
In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? What a question. And you, you, you have to wonder what this man thought. He, he, he had no idea who Jesus was. Uh, many people during Jesus' earthly ministry, as he approached them and, and healed them or, or spoke to them, had no idea at the beginning who he was. Of course, they found out, found out quickly, as this, as this man did. So, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. So he thinks, when Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? He thinks, well, this man's going to help me and get to get into the pool ahead of everybody else. Verse 8 reads, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. He didn't help them get down to the pool. He healed them. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. It was always that way when Jesus healed someone. It was immediate. Absolutely immediate. And when he saved each one of us, it was immediate. And the effect was immediate. Now we had a lot of growing to do from that point, as we know about the sanctification process, but immediately there's a change. So he, the man immediately was made well, took up his bed, and walked. Now, the next few verses, there were Jews present, and they, were all, they got all bent out of shape because it was the Sabbath, and you know how that worked with Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And... Uh, so we'll skip that part and get down to verse 14. Verse 14 says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now Jesus has just told him something very interesting that we need to take a hold, a hold of here. He said, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. In other words, what he had just been healed from was ultimately the result of sin, maybe going back years. Because he says, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. In other words, if you sin from this point over, I have healed you. If you sin now from this point over, uh, from this point forward, something worse than what you already had that I just healed you of is, is going to happen to you. So again, we see this progression. In James's text, we saw the, the desire to sin and then uh, going from the uh, conception to the birth and so on. So we saw a progression there. And here we see a progression, the possibility of, of a progression uh, concerning this man if he should begin to sin again. Now, 
then does, does this have the potential for a moral decline in this man's life? Yes, it does. Jesus just told him what would happen. Now, we're going to see that more and more in these texts as we move on. So, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, Paul tells Timothy and, and the church there, evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. So there's that progression that I just spoke of. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, the practice of evil leads to more evil. That gives us a, a, an understanding, it gives me an understanding of how these people that have perpetrated, that are perpetrating some of these incredible, incredibly debauched acts, how they got there. Because they started out practicing sins that may not be uh, to the degree that what we're seeing now, but gradually over time they adopted more sins, they began to sin more and more, and their mind began to conceive sin and perform it. And, um, and so, in other words, the practice of evil leads to more evil. That's what uh, Paul has just said. On the other hand, the practice of righteousness leads to more righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 says, now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now something we need to realize here is there's no middle ground between the two. You're, evil on a, you're either on a path toward evil and more evil, sin and more sin, or you're on a path to increasing righteousness in your life. There's no middle road between the two. Um, Joshua made a wide wise decision. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's a very wise decision on his part. Now, here's a question. Could the continual practice of evil create an open door for demon intrusion. Really? Are, are we talking about demon possession? Really? We don't think about that or talk about that very much. And there are people who, who, who think that's old hat or out of style or, or whatever. Uh, let's, let's take a look at this and um, see where this will take us. Could the continual practice of evil create an open door for demon intrusion? Turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke, cha Luke chapter 8. And verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities 
Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. We started off, we're starting off here with quite a person, aren't we? Because Mary Magdalene became one of Jesus' most loyal disciples. And she's a picture of righteousness in, in her life following this point when these demons were cast out by Jesus. Seven demons. Now, we're also going to find out that that's quite a few. But we don't have anything yet to compare it with, but it's coming. We'll take a look at it. Now, did you notice when Jesus enters a life, the demons vacate? They're gone. Evil spirits cannot live where the Holy Spirit has taken up residence. In John chapter 4, verse 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, John says, You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them, that is, satanic beings, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, notice the Lord's instructions to the twelve. In Matthew 10, Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8, Speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, As you go, announce this. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, drive out demons. And then again in Matthew 8, 16, it says, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And this is not, these are not just a few isolated verses. I mean, we could go on ad infinitum here. We could continue. But you see, the, you get the picture here. Now, something Jesus never said is that during this age, demonic activity would cease. He never said that. Somehow we think it's old hat today to think in terms of demon possession. But I think we need to rethink that. Uh, we don't see it often. Uh, they make movies about it and so on. Um, but we don't see it often. Um, so, but Jesus never said that demonic activity would cease. That's because Satan and his workers are still active. There's, nothing has changed. Do you remember Peter's warning? In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And that's today. That was, it's been, that's been in, in effect, that warning, uh, since the beginning and includes coming right up through today. So concerning demonic activity, nothing has changed. So what if someone yields to one temptation after another so that their life becomes saturated with sinful thoughts? We've already seen the progression. Uh, the man waiting for the, the, the stirring of the water and the warning that the Lord gave him. And what James told us about uh, a sin starting out as a, as a desire 
And then, then there's a conception, then there's a birth, and so on. So we've already seen this, this progression. But what if someone yields to one temptation after another, after another, after another, so that their life becomes saturated with sinful thoughts and actions? Could that have been Mary Magdalene before Jesus cast those demons out? She had seven demons. And we're going to find out pretty soon if that was a lot, comparatively, or not too bad. Of course, one is terrible, one is bad, but uh, we'll, we'll get a handle on this seven that Mary had. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, the Lord illustrates how this happens, and we never come to this text. I, I, haven't come to, I haven't read this text in a long time until now. So I'd like you to turn there to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And uh, it's just three verses, but they're pretty extensive and uh, jam-packed verses. Matthew 12, beginning with verse 43, Jesus says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, so already there's the acknowledgement that there are unclean spirits, demons. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dried places, seeking rest and finds none. Demons are uncomfortable uh, out, outside of, of someone's, of, being, of indwelling someone who is a sinner. They're uncomfortable with that. So he goes through dry places after he has left this man, this demon, and seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall, shall it also be with this wicked generation. See that, he said? Did you see what he just said there? He said the last state of that man is worse than the first. That's just what Jesus said to the man that had been waiting for the stirring of the water. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So we're not able to escape this progression at this point in Scripture. It's clearly delineated. Now, let's interpret this parable. The, the parable depicts a man who, in a moment of self-righteousness, has made an attempt to clean up his sin in his life, the sin in his life, to clean up his act. This is why the demon had to leave, because demons being evil require an evil abode in which to reside. But the demon soon finds his surroundings on the outside to be undesirable, so he decides to see if he might be able to return to the house he had left. Upon arrival, he finds it in an empty, godless state, for the man had failed to invite Jesus Christ in to fill the void, and so has returned to his sinful ways, a condition that encouraged the demon to re-enter. And to the demon's glee, he finds that the house is devoid 
of anything godly, clean and swept, is what that, that it was talking about. He's devoid of anything godly. So he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked. He's got buddies that he's going to bring now more wicked than himself, and they all enter and dwell there. So now the man's condition is much worse than it was. Going from bad to worse is the continuous picture that we have painted here. Now concerning this man's self-righteousness and the mistake he made by not taking the opportunity to come to Jesus Christ, Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So with eight demons indwelling this man, insanity sets in, the degree of which is in keeping with the number of demons and how advanced their level of wickedness is. When this happens, what extreme might it reach? Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. What extreme might this, this reach? And are we really talking about insanity here? Another word is madness. We're going to see that word in a moment too. Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. This is about the Gadarenes. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Verse 26, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? This is the demon speaking now. He's a demon, no matter how few or how many, they completely take over the, the person's body. And speaking for him and everything. Guiding his actions and so on. He says, I beg you, do not torment me. Verse 29, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, catch this now, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. So the demon is clearly in control. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many legions had entered him. Many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now, a legion was the largest unit in the Roman army, from 3,000 3, to 6,000 men. I have no idea if, if that's how many demons this man had, but he had a lot of them. And he appears to be, hard to say, but he appears to be the one that's the spokesman for all the other demons that are indwelling this man. So, verse 32, Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. 
Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. They immediately became out of their mind. These, these swine, as soon as the, these, all these demons entered the swine, the swine went nuts. So you can, you can imagine why this man was existing the way he was. So, verse 34, when those who fed them saw what, what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. He was insane. And now because of Jesus, he is in his right mind. And they were afraid. That's an interesting response, them being afraid. Because they knew this man and what he was like. I mean, he was in the area constantly in the tombs and in the woods and, and uh, no clothes. And they were accustomed to, to him being there. And all of a sudden, he's in his right mind. Now, are we really talking about insanity here? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 with me. 2 Peter chapter 2. And verses 1 through 16. 2 Peter chapter 2 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their destructive ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be blasphemed. Now skip down to verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. And if you're not familiar with Balaam, jot down Numbers chapter 22. You will love reading this passage. It'll be interesting to you. Following the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked, verse 16, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Now that word madness is from the Greek, and the Greek word is paraphrenia, which means insanity. When this sets in, there is a complete reversal of morality. Isaiah warns us about this in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Now, I want you to be thinking about these lone wolf uh, uh, murderers in, in particular that we have in the news constantly now. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
But look what happens when Jesus is invited into a sin-crazed life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Concerning those who have come to Christ. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Now that word love is very important in that verse. Because again, love and hate are polar opposites of each other. And the hate, the pure uh, hate that we have been witnessing uh, in this world today, there's no room for love there at all. So the, the idea of, of reaching the point in sin of where, where insanity begins to set in. Paul says here, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So then in Christ, our mind is, con mind is converted to a godly way of thinking. So who could we think of in recent times that might qualify as having reached the level of sin-crazed insanity? Let's explore this a little bit. Uh, the first name that comes to my mind is Adolf Hitler. He considered it ration rational to think to himself, I'm going to kill six million people. That's a good idea. Do you have any doubt that insanity is playing a role here? Pure hatred. How about Muammar, Muammar Gaddafi of Libya, who absolutely went mad as his dictatorship went on? And we have a younger fellow now that's coming up through the ranks, North Korea's Kim Jong-un. He's already tortured and executed some of his family. And um, no doubt worse is on the way. And let's talk about an older figure who just passed away recently, Charles Manson. How many of you have seen an interview maybe years ago, but an interview with Charles Manson. Yeah, quite a few of you. Have you ever looked into his eyes? you ever looked right? It's hard. Because it's, it's just pure evil. Um, the prosecuting attorney at his trial described him as pure evil personified. I saw an interview, someone interviewed him once years ago, and I saw that, happened to see that interview, and they asked him, what about God? He said, Charles, what about God? And he said, God? He says, I created God. Can you imagine? I created God. That's how far gone that poor man was. And what about the mass murderers then of today? How about Stephen Paddock, the Las Vegas shooter? Can you imagine conceiving and giving birth to that, that level of sin where you decide, because of this large gathering at a concert, that you're going to go rent a, a hotel room about 20 stories up and, and take two or three high-powered rifles with you, and you're just going to kill as many people as you can? Can you imagine thinking like that?
And how about those who, for a long time now, have and, and they continue to give allegiance to ISIS and all that, 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 and that ISIS represents? What about the man who recently rented a truck from Home Depot and ran down all those people riding their bikes in New York City? Here they are, just innocently riding their bicycles. He doesn't know them, they don't know him, and he just decides, I'm going to run them down. Does that sound like rational thinking to you? I don't think so. And then there's Devin, Devin Patrick Kelly, who evidently thought it rational and wise to kill half the congregation of the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Now, after the carnage, as they often do, these people, Mr. Kelly took his own life. I kind of think there's a pride issue, personally, in that I'm not going to let them kill me, I'm going to kill myself. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction. Whatever it is, they, that's a pattern. They take their own life. So he did that. And where is he now? Well, Hebrews 9.27 tells us this. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Mr. Kelly found himself standing at the judgment seat of Christ, before the righteous judge. And he heard, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. He heard that. And I think, beginning at that point, he wishes he could rethink this and have it, have it all over again, have it to, to consider all over again. Depart from me, I never knew you. What a shock. Now, what about the destination of those whom he murdered in that church? When they arrived before the judgment seat of Christ, they heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. And they're in, et in eternity now, in heaven, glorifying God and rejoicing together. So, in, uh, he, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 4, there's a very important verse there that I haven't read in a long time. Maybe you haven't either. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 says this, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Mr. Kelly accomplished nothing. Absolutely nothing, except his own eternal demise. Because those who he killed in that church are in glory with their Lord and Savior. And what about those who survived his rampage? He killed about half the congregation. What about those who survived? One day they will each pass individually home to glory. They will stand before Jesus Christ and he, they will hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And they will rejoin all of those that have gone before from that church. And they'll all be rejoicing together. Can I hear you say there's victory in Jesus? 
What's the bottom line concerning all of this? Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, insanity, demise. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I hope there's a choice that you need, if there's a choice that you need to make today, that you make the right one. Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. Our sins which collectively are many. Uh, fortunately, we, we never got to the point that these people got to that we've been talking about here in the last part of this. But we could have. Anything is possible. So um, I, I'll give you an opportunity to simply respond right where you are to your need, if it's there, to have Jesus Christ for the first time in your life become your Lord and Savior. So that when you, st you and I stand before that judgment seat, we'll hear the right words. All right, but there is victory in Jesus. They all they, if they want to kill us, that's all they can do. And they can't do anything more. But now where is Mr. Kelly compared to those people in that church? A vast difference. <laughs>